if you will turn to him, 581, 581. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
But to trust in Jesus, it's hard to trust in something you don't believe in. That'd be kind of tough, would it not? But belief is important. You know, there's a, there's a difference between belief and faith. In Hebrews chapter 2, I think it's, I think it's verse 17, or Hebrews, but anyway, it says, Because Abraham believed, it was imputed unto him, or imparted unto him for righteousness. And so his belief is what brought him his salvation, belief in the promise and the coming of Jesus Christ. His faith, our faith, is working out our belief. And, and, you know, there's a doctrinal difference there. And so when we try to have trust, trust in Jesus, you've got to have your belief. It's got to be founded. It's got to be strong in what you're, uh, you're trying to carry your faith out in. Meaning this morning, I want to talk about the God of all seasons. God of all seasons. Now, I don't know about you. I break down the seasons to me or simply four different categories. Mine, you know, break down, you know, football, baseball, hockey, and basketball. Those are my four seasons. That's kind of how I measure, oh, football season's about to start. You know, it correlates with fall. And it goes on, we're in hockey season now. Go Stars. <clears throat> they were they won the first round so you know we're getting into spring but uh but life has its seasons does it not and and we can't control them we can't control them. we experience uh sometimes can get messy it can get tangled up our seasons get to the point they can be so messy we can't distinguish one season for another matter of fact scripturally it says as we get closer to the end we will not be able to distinguished to determine one season from another so but within that making some seasons in our lives overwhelming when they get messy when they get hard when they get confusing it, it gets hard it, it gets burdensome it can be difficult to bear hard to endure in those seasons but i want to encourage us this morning we won't just take a few minutes here but i want to leave you i think you're going to find a good encouragement that no matter what season you're in or what season you find yourself in, because they do change, that we still have a promise. And that promise is we have a faithful, loving Father who is the God of all seasons. All right, so let's pray, then we'll look at this real quick, and we'll move on to the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to gather. Lord, uh, while we uh, maybe relish the season we're in, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, the weather goes, uh, we've got a newness of life. Spring brings forth new hope in a lot of ways. But, Father, for some, it, it can be dark and cloudy and, uh, and heavy. But, Father, we know that you are the God of all seasons. So enlighten us today. Encourage our hearts through your promise of your word in Christ's name. Amen. If you'd stand with me this morning as we read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In verse 1, you should be very familiar with this uh, chapter in the Bible, especially if you love the birds, if you those that know what I'm talking about. But uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you would, read aloud with me. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Amen. Meaning what? Meaning our Heavenly Father has a time for everything. He has a purpose for everything. Everything is under his control. It's under his anointing. 
He has ordained everything that comes about. Now, when we consider seasons, we got to look at two words within the Bible. We've got two different references to time in scriptures. One word is the word chronos. It's a word we get chronological order out of, you know, chronologically, things such as seconds, days, months, weeks, a standard of time by which we live by. It's measurable. Your birthday comes around every year, you know, by chronology, it happens the same time every year. But then there's another word, kairos. Now, kairos meaning it refers to an, uh, an opportune moment, a specific moment that occurs in life. It's not something you can plan out. It's not something you can set on your calendar. But kairos is something that God controls, something that God's involved in. So this kairos is what Solomon's referring to, referring to here in chapter 3. And Solomon illustrates this through the passage. So I want you to read with me. I'm going to read verses 2 through 8. I know you're familiar with this, but we need to see what God's pointing out to us. And I'm pretty sure that there is one of these that you're going to miss. And you probably have never seen it. I can say that strongly. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 8. It says, The time to be born... I want you to count every time you see the word time. Count it out in your head. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, uh, which was planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, from embracing, from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Who got 28? Yeah. So 28 times in Scripture, God gives us a kairos. He gives us a kairos period over 28 different things in our life. Now, we don't, he doesn't give us a calendar for it. We can't put it on there, you know, when we're going to die. But we know Scripture says every man's appointed his day of death. There will be a time to die. There's a time to laugh, a time. So we got 28 times that Solomon points out that the, the kairos aspect of God's hands involved in our lives. Clearly, the seasonal experiences listed are appropriate to the certain times of our life. Our struggle is, though, we get overburdened in these. We get overburdened, we get discouraged, even hopeless in these seasons because we don't like when they come. They don't show up on our chronos time that we had planned out. And so, but yet they still come in our lives. And they say that you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or there's a storm on the horizon. But it's kairos. It's unknown. It's unexpected. But God says it will come. In all shapes, all forms, and all fashions, it will come into our lives. But we've got to remember God is in control of every season he's a god of all seasons 
And that's what we got to hang our spiritual hat on. His kairos time, it's, it's proper, it's perfect, and it's purposeful. If we see what God wants us to see. Why? Because God remains faithful. Does God's faithfulness and does his provisions waver to the seasons we're in? No. God's always faithful. God's always provisional. So the seasons, while they affect our walk, they can affect our thinking, our spiritual strength, it doesn't change the nature and the character of who and what God is. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, irregardless of the seasons we're going through. The danger is the doubt again, or, or we resent God's timing. This leads to despair, to rebellion, to anger, and sometimes even to bitterness, sadly. But there's a right time, and the right time's always God's time. That's the right time. We read under verse 1, there's a right time for everything under heaven. And we pray hard for it. We pray hard for it to come in the next hour, in the next week. We, God, we, we got to do this now. We time stamp it on our chronological order. God, you know I need this by then. God's like, no, that's when you think you need it. I have a perfect time and a perfect purpose in my time. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 6, 6. This is interesting. Go to the what? Ant, thou sluggard. Now, for clarity, we're not the ant. We're the sluggard. Okay, so go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be what? Wise. Now, it's an interesting passage. God uses an ant. And in Texas, we got fire ants. We all hate fire ants, okay? But God points out an ant and says, look, you need to have the wisdom of an ant. What are you talking about? I crush them. I pesticide. I, why ant? Why is God comparing us to an ant and calling us the sluggard? Well, we see that in Proverbs 30, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, obviously. We can crush them. Yet they what? Ah, prepare their meat in the, is that not a season? So here's this minuscule little ant that has no power over us. They can get us all fired up when they, those fire ants sting us. We get them that way. We crush them and enjoy it. Yeah, take that. Okay? There ain't nothing they can do to us. And yet God says, they got more wisdom than most of my children do. Because they're faithful, they're obedient, and they respond to my direction, and they prepare themselves for the season that comes. God says, hey, old sluggard, you need to kind of learn from them. The seasons change. The ant understands the seasons are going to change in its life, and it prepares itself. Do we do that? So spiritual wisdom knows the seasons as they come, and they live accordingly to the Father's purpose and will through this season. So the question is this morning, are we seeking knowledge within these seasons? We were, Sam and I were talking to uh, some folks last night, and in John chapter 9, it's an interesting story, you know it, and Jesus is walking with the disciples, and the disciples of all people, 
they come up and they ask Jesus a question. It's on the board here for you. I'm paraphrasing it. And they said, you know, Lord said, well, who did wrong, his mom or his dad, for this child to be in this condition? And Jesus says, neither one did wrong. But I allowed this for my perfect will to be done, to glorify my Father through this. Of course, God does a miracle. Christ does. And the point being, what we were talking about last night, is that when we're going through seasons in our life, we get hyper-focused on the why instead of the what. Why is this happening, God? Why are you doing this to me, God? Why is this, God? And what the why does, every time we get stuck in our heart and our mind of arguing or trying to figure out the why, the only thing we're doing is diminishing our faith. Because if we had the why, do we need faith? No. God says, don't get so hyper-focused on the why. Focus on the what. Focus on what I can do through this. Focus on what I'm going to do through this in my perfect timing under heaven. Kairos. An unexpected, unknown moment of time that God does his perfect will in our life. If we're like the ant and we're wise and we prepare ourselves in the Lord, knowing God is perfect. He hears our prayers. He knows the timeline we put on our prayers. He knows job situations and kids, finances. God knows all that. But what we don't know is we don't know the perfect timing like God does. Kairos. Don't be distracted by the weather. The storm's raging around you. Acknowledge it. Prepare. Dwell within the season you're in. But I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how much the storms are, are flowing down. You still will have, through God, every provision you need to still bloom where you're planted. Say it again. Kairos, the Father's season. Perfect. Purposeful. Keep in mind, there's not a drought there's ever been that God didn't restore eventually. There's never a flood that God didn't replenish after. I'll close with this. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2 through 8. We saw 28 times a season that God tells us will come and go in our lives. Kairos events. But there's one you didn't catch. There's one in there that I'm sorry, I don't care how much you read the Bible, you did not catch this truth in it. Because it's not there. What's not there is the time to quit. God never said there's a time to quit. There's never a time to give up. Don't give up. Now, it's not that we can't quit. Demas quit. You know, kind of what Richard's talking about this morning. In the end times, we, were, we will depart from the faith. Demas departed from Paul and his faith. He got more focused. Somehow, he fell in love with the temporal promises of this world instead of the eternal promises of God. And he quit. 
But God says in my chiral's time, there will be a time for everything, but there is not a time to quit. As long as we hold on. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what type of season you're going through. I don't care how bad it hurts, not in the sense of being insensitive, only in the scriptural fact it does not matter what we're enduring. Do not quit during your season. There's a Kairos moment that's coming. And how many times I could only imagine, one of the th I, for my own life, one of the things I want God to show me when I get to heaven is how many times in my life, a, a time of hurt and pain, that I was one more step away from his promise, and I stopped. The Bible tells us, Scriptures tell us, there will be unknown treasures and blessings in heaven we never got from God that he had ordained for us, and we quit in our season. And God's like standing one step away with this spiritual silver platter, and we're like, I don't know, I quit. I'm out of church, out of God's Word, I'm tired of praying. God didn't come through, enough's enough, I don't know. I just got to clear my mind, and, and I'll get back with God later. And God's standing there with the blessing. Todd was a step away in his faith walk from a Kairos moment that God had for me. 28 things God tells us there's a time for, there's not a time to quit. But we, how many times as Christians do we add a 29th time in our life because we don't like the storm we're in? I'll close with this. We get on to the Lord's Supper. I thought it was very interesting. There were uh, two men that encountered each other. And one of the men, first man, clearly noticed that the countenance of the, uh, of the second man was, was pretty bleak. He said, hey, buddy, you mind if I ask you a question? He says, yeah. He said, man, you really look down. Are you struggling? He goes, you have no idea how bad I'm struggling. Is it, does it show? He goes, I'm afraid it does. He goes, man, I got myself in a jam. I don't know what to do. I can't get out of it. I don't have the resources to get out of it. I'm at the end of my rope. I, I, I just, I quit. I give up. Guy says, well, he goes, let me ask you a question. He said, would a million dollars help you? He goes, well, of course, that'd help anybody. He said, if I gave you a million dollars, would you take it? Like I said, are you serious? He goes, I'm asking you a question. If I, if I was willing to give you a million dollars, would you take it? He said, yeah. I'd take it. He goes, okay, well, one more question. He said, how about $10 million? I said, you got that kind of money? He said, if I gave you $10 million, would you take it? He goes, yeah. His countenance starts changing. He goes, yeah, I'll take it. He goes, okay. But there's one stipulation. So if I give you that $10 million, understand you can only enjoy it for today. You won't wake up tomorrow. I said, whoa, wait a second. What do you mean? He goes, that's, that's how it's going to work. You take the $10 million, you enjoy it today, you won't wake up tomorrow. He goes, well, no, forget it. I don't want it. He goes, well, I'm confused then. Let me make sure I understand this. 
So you'd rather go with the $10 million to wake up tomorrow? I said, oh, maybe I don't need to quit after all. Maybe I just thought the season I was in was hopeless. I said, no, I'd rather wake up tomorrow and go on through the season I'm in than to take $10 million and not see tomorrow. Kind of gives us a different perspective. God's not offering us money, but God's offering us his kairos moment. You just keep on. Keep on keeping on. Press on, as Paul says. Press on. Season will change. It will change. It's going to change in God's perfect, purposeful promise. If we stand in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Gentlemen, if y'all come forward. I said earlier we have the opportunity of the Lord's Supper it's a powerful moment in time that we get to worship the Lord we know scripturally that worship is always a, an act worship is something we do it's a surrendering of ourself to the Lord when, when Abraham took his son Isaac to the altar he says I and the lad are going to worship Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac to the Lord. Talking about the season. Abraham knew. He had the promise that the lineage, the Messiah, was coming through his bloodline. And when God asked him to sacrifice him, it made no sense to Abraham. Well, wait a second, God, this is going against your work. How's the Messiah going to come about? You've already told me. God said, let me worry about my timing, my way. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice, to worship. And so we have that opportunity. So the essence of this inner experience of treasuring the true beauty of who and what God is, it's an outward form of worship as we take the Lord's Supper. It's a way that we gather here. We, you know, we do it basically every quarter that we come together and as a unit of Christ, as a body of Christ, as a kindred spirit, that we step out in our faith and show forth our worship we sacrifice our time now and we get to partake in something that the lord gave us it's a very special very humbling very reverent moment it says in first corinthians 10 31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do do all to the glory of god and this morning we're bringing glory to god by us participating in the lord's supper we come with humility. We come in acknowledgement, understanding of the reverence to who and what God is. So as we gather in a corporate sense, in the life and the body of the church, it's an external act that treasures who and what God is and what he did for us by way of the cross. 
So the question is for us, if the Lord's Supper is worship, how does it express this inner treasure of Christ's beauty and worth? I think there's three things here in the Lord's Supper passage that it points out to us. It points out remembering, proclaiming, and nourishing. If you'll look with me, it should be on the board. We see remembrance is brought up twice. It's brought up in verse 24 and it's brought up in verse 25 and it says when you had given thanks and break it take eat of my body is broken for you do this in remembrance of me it goes on to say the same thing in verse 26 as we take the the wine the juice in our case that you do this in remembrance of me so the first act that we're doing by form of worship to christ that we're bringing into remembrance who and what christ is that is the second person in training Godhead, is the son of the living God that stepped out of spirit into the flesh only for the purpose not to really come to, to receive our worship at that time because he came as a sacrificial lamb. When he returns, I think it'll be very soon, he's not coming back as a lamb, he's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back as a lion that is going to be due our reverence and our worship in a way that we have never experienced. But the first time, he says, hey, I'm just coming as a lamb. You're going to want to make big of me, and rightfully so. You're going to want to make me a king, and you're going to want me to destroy the Roman Empire. All these things you're going to want me to do, you don't understand. I'm coming for one reason and one reason and only, and that's to save souls. So much so that I will be spit upon and beaten and stabbed and ridiculed and mocked but that's okay because i'm not coming to need your worship i'm coming to obtain your soul so when you look at verses 24 and 26 it's a time of remembrance that's why we do this we don't do it just because it's a religious act to do the bible says it's on our i think it's out there on our sheet i think if i'm reading it it says you know, as often as you do this, nowhere in Scripture does it say you do this on this religious schedule. It says as often as you do it. We do it every day if we want to. Some churches do it weekly. Nothing wrong with that scripturally. But the emphasis is why we're doing it. And we're doing it in remembrance of what he did for us. Second thing that draws our worship, do our worship, is proclaiming. The Lord's Supper expresses the value of Christ by proclaiming his death. It tells us that again in verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat and drink of this, drink of this cup, do you show the Lord's death till he comes? So every time we do this, we're bringing back, we're proclaiming the work of Christ on the cross. Not only are we bringing it into remembrance, by us doing it today, we're making a corporate statement in one voice that through the Word of God, we are proclaiming that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Christ gave us the Lord's Supper to help us to keep Him in memory, especially His blood and the body given in this death. We must remember Him because He remembered us on the cross proclaiming it's a normal response of worship 
It moves us to action, showing forth our faith and obedience. And then number three, nourishment. Remembrance, proclaiming, nourishment. The Lord's Supper is provisional. It tells us this in Romans 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, it is not the communion of the body of Christ. It's not the fact that saying what it is. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. if you need to nourish your body physically, do that at home. We're not coming here. We're not doing this. We get through here, I'm sure, pretty sure every single one of us is going to grab a bite to eat after this. This does nothing for us physically. The only thing physical about it is our outward act of the remembrance and the proclaiming. Now, what this does, this nourishes us spiritually. Taking it in symbolism of the blood that he shared, shed and the, his body that was broken. That's why in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus really uh, gave a sermon, you know, to the, the multitude of disciples at that time, and he referenced that you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's when they departed. They were like, what's he talking about? The Messiah has lost his mind. He's talking about cannibalism. And they couldn't understand it, and they departed, and they followed him no more. No, it's not a physical thing we're doing. It's a spiritual nourishment of our soul. So I think by remembering, by proclaiming, and by nourishing ourselves is a great way to approach our worship when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So with that, we will move forward. If you'll look in Scriptures, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, it tells us, but let a man examine himself, and let him eat, or excuse me, and uh, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Before we come into the Lord's Supper, we always need to take a moment. We never want to come and, and, and try to nourish ourselves spiritually through the Lord's Supper when we have angst in our heart, when we have unconfessed sin. Maybe we have anger, hurt towards a brother or sister in Christ. We don't want to move forward scripture. The Bible tells it goes on to warn us. If you do this, you're doing you're you're you know, you're cursing yourself. So we need to take this morning to make sure there's no angst in our heart, no anger, no bitterness, even any unhappiness with a brother or sister in Christ or in our life and approach with a pure heart. Amen. So we're just going to take the 30, 45 seconds here, each of us privately can just uh, take that moment to do so. leaders here Brad if you would pray over the bread for us Father God as we come to you today acknowledging the pain, the anguish the blood and 
I uh, so appreciate Deborah's faithfulness and love for our children and her investment in them. And you notice they joined us this morning, and I think it was a good call on her part. But as we partake of the bread, uh, and guys, if you allow me, I may be a good opportunity to talk to the, the younger ones. The, the cracker that we are about to take and we're about to eat, it symbolizes the body of Christ. And that's why we take it. But if you notice, it's a little bitty thin cracker. I think we've all had rolls and bread and things that we love to eat. If you talk to your mom or your dad, there, there's what's inside and most of the bread we eat called yeast. And yeast is what takes something like this and turns it into what we see, thicker, a roll or a cake, things of that nature. But what we're eating is a little wafer. It doesn't have any yeast in it. And the reason is, is because yeast is a bacteria. 
and, and as, as you know, maybe at school, maybe not yet, but bacteria is not really good for us. And bacteria is corruption. It co really corrupts the bread that makes it rise. But we know our Lord and Savior, his body didn't have corruption in it. There was no sin in his body. Nothing what we're saying like bacteria that would be bad. Jesus' body was perfect because Christ was perfect. And so we eat this little wafer that doesn't have yeast in it. That's why it's flat. That's why it's not appealing. It doesn't take, taste like the cakes and cookies and rolls that we eat. But we're not here for our physical enjoyment. As we said a while ago, we're here for our spiritual, our soul, the enjoyment and the nourishment of our body and what Christ did. And we know that before Jesus hung on the cross, that his body went through a lot of suffering. The Roman soldiers that captured him, they beat his body. The big Roman soldier guards, they literally, like, unfortunately, you know, they took their fist and they hit the face of Jesus. And, and they hit him in so much, you know, what we'd say today, beat him up so bad that it was hard for the disciples, his followers, to recognize that he was Jesus. Then they yanked the beard. Your dad, maybe some of the men in church that have beards, they yanked the beard out of his face. And then they placed the crown of thorns on his head. And all that only led up to the point that they took him out in the courtyard and they beat his body with a whip. And I know this is some heavy, you know, pictures maybe that we're painting, but what Christ went through for us, his body was beaten and it was bloodied. And he was willing to endure that for us. And so when we take of this cracker, we're taking in that remembrance and understanding of what Christ put his body through, even before he even got to the cross to be crucified. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, it says, when he had given thanks, he took the bread, he was eating with his disciples, it was called the Last Supper, and he broke the bread and he said, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. That's why he went through all that. His body was broken for us. It's broken for you. This do always, always in remembrance of me. Let's tarry to pray over the juice. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we love you so much. We thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your grace, your love, and your never-ending mercy for us. We thank you for the sacrifice you made by sending your son, whose body was beaten, whose blood that was shed for us, Lord, and then sent to a cruel cross to pay for something we couldn't pay for, and that was our sins. But we ask now that you be with us today, and as we take this cup, let us remember it was all for us. And we need to remember that each and every time we do this. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We do this in remembrance of him. Amen.
young ones in the same way we uh we drink what you know grape juice is what we have in our cups uh, i'll let your parents explain it more detail but there's also a process that grape juice can become unhealthy for us there's a process that can take place that normal grape juice could become unhealthy it, it works the same process again by you know the infection the uh, uh the ingredients that get inside that disrupt that but again the blood of jesus was pure there's nothing corrupt about the blood of jesus As a matter of fact if you've been taught yet if you know in heaven there's a spot called the mercy seat of christ it's on the right hand of the father on the throne in heaven and that mercy seat is a place only for jesus only jesus has the authority the power and the perfection to sit there well when christ died on the cross the blood that poured from his body the scripture says that our heavenly father scooped up the blood of christ and sprinkled it on the mercy seat of christ and that's so important because it tells us in hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sin it's the blood of Christ. It was the blood that Christ shared that cleanses us, that makes us white as snow. And through the work of Christ on the cross that allows us to accept that perfect work of Jesus, what only Jesus could do. Because, see, our sin, a sinner can't die for a sinner. Me as your pastor, I'm not worthy to die for you. Your mom and dad are not worthy to die for you or ourselves. There has to be someone perfect that paid for our sins. And only Jesus was perfect. His body was perfect. His blood was perfect. Why sin kills us spiritually and will kill us physically as we get older, why sin kills us it was Christ's work on the cross that saves us. That we can have the promise of eternal life in heaven. And his blood is what purifies us, washes us as white as snow. So the same evening at the Lord's Supper when Jesus was with his disciples as they broke bread. It goes on to tell us in verse 25. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This is the cup of my New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, as always, in remembrance of me. If you'll get the lights for us, guys. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we could come and worship and worship through the Lord's Supper. That we can, by remembering and by proclaiming and by nourishing our bodies spiritually, that we get to bring into remembrance what you did for us on the cross, that you embodied with the disciples at the Last Supper and every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, what you went through, we cannot even comprehend the sacrifice that you endured for us. 
we can describe it. We've seen movies made that try to portray it. But yet, Lord, you lived it. You went through it. And while you came in pure love, while you came in pure sacrifice, while you came to be the great leader through the greatest form of doing so, through sacrifice and through servitude, that you'll come back. Soon we pray. You'll come back with the same love, but you'll come back now as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you'll bring every nation, you'll bring everything in subject to you, and rightfully so. Until that day comes, we just relish these opportunities that we can come together as a corporate body of believers and, and act out our worship and uh, servitude through the Lord's Supper and, and bring all these things and keep them always in remembrance to us. And in doing so, Father, as we talked about earlier, help us to also understand that the seasons we go through will be tough at times, but we never have a season to quit because we have your promises. We have your perfect will that will be done in your perfect timing under heaven. As the music plays, our ministry leaders and men are here to pray with you. Let's use this time to continue our worship to the Lord. The altar is open. If you would, stand with me. folks praying the honor to pray with you maybe you're in one of those seasons now it's hard to see hope it's hard to walk in faith I encourage you to come this morning seek the Lord's strength hold on to his promises he tells us a Kairos moment is coming perfect timing whatever we do don't give up there's no other alternative out there that's going to be better than hold it on to God's promises God's provisions continue to walk in his faithfulness Father, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I just ask that you strengthen every heart here. That there are seasons that will come and go when we find ourselves in one of those seasons that we understand. That uh, you're well aware and that you're the God of all seasons. And if we'll just hold on 
will persevere, will press on in your word with our faithfulness, our obedience to it that know that your perfect timing will come about and you'll work through the storm, you'll work through it in a way as you tell us in Jeremiah 29 11 that it'll be for your glory but it'll be for our good help us to endure the storm Father help us to keep always into remembrance the cross your sacrifice so we can have eternal life in heaven Father we thank you we praise you we ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said Amen, Amen.